1: Well, it's Wednesday. We are uh, halfway through the work week, and we have like we might be halfway through the work week, but we're not even halfway through what's going on in politics in Washington. This is like a political junkie's like dream here. So much is happening on every front, and uh, the best part is you're in the right place because I'm going to tell you about it all. <laughs> anyway, the government is uh, headed for a shutdown. We've been saying that all week, but now we're down to four days, and. I think it's like gotten tied into a bigger knot. Put it in the bank, mark it down. The government is shutting down Saturday night. And I don't see it happening or it opening anytime soon. I think the military factor uh, will change things a little, but I'll talk about that in just a minute. Um, the House is starting to move four bills, uh, but it doesn't really matter. I mean, the timing is such that they're not going anywhere. The Senate's not doing anything. On their end. So, this is all for show and posturing. Uh, What it's going to mean, though, guess what? That's the beautiful thing I'll tell you about in a minute. Speaking of closing, Target is about to shut a bunch of stores in blue cities. Of course, no one's mentioning that they're blue cities controlled by blue folks because of crime that the policy of them, but I'm going to explain that in just a little while. And then, Biden yesterday, he's out pandering to the UAW, those United Auto Workers, saying he favors a 40% increase in their pay. He was there for a total of 12 minutes and then went to a fundraiser where he took a ton of money in. Uh, And tonight, I mean, it's debate night. I actually don't know that people know this. I mean, you guys do because you watch the show. But I honestly don't think that after the first debate, there's a ton of people that are going to care. I'll be interested in the ratings, but uh, will it move the needle? Um, I I just, I think we'll, we'll talk about this in a minute, but this is an interesting dynamic. These debates were supposed to get to allow us to know these candidates better. I I think this is a bunch of people auditioning to figure out who gets to take on Donald Trump. Maybe, maybe not. Um, And we are going to speak to Mark Halpern about this. We had a great conversation this morning. Uh, You can be part of that conversation tomorrow morning as well. We call it debate prep. It's at 9 a.m. Eastern. I'll talk about that a little later. But Mark Halpern is going to give us his analysis of who needs to do what, what this means for a lot of these candidates. Is it do or die? As you know, Mark has been covering this kind of stuff forever. Uh, and he knows these candidates, he knows the operators in each one of them, so they're telling him what they need to know, what he needs, what we need to know. Uh, So, like I said, no lack of things to get to, plus some Hunter Biden stuff that's just amazing. Uh, Plenty to cover, not enough time. We're gonna get to all of it. Let's get into it now. All right, we have been talking about the government shutting down all week and get used to it because it's going to shut down. Midnight on Saturday, it shuts down. Sunday, I don't think we'll feel it. Monday, uh, who knows? But then I think the question is what happens. I've noted this before, but the military thing, the Homeland Security piece is something that's a little different about this time. Um, McCarthy is literally throwing just a ton of mud at the wall, seeing what sticks. Um, we've, we're actually back to some of the options from a while ago. They're putting up four bills. They actually had this, like, a victory last night, if that's what you want to call it. Um, they had the rule, which is very inside baseball talk, that has to pass before a bill gets considered. They passed the rule last night that will allow these four bills to be considered. But make no mistake about it. The bills maybe pass, but they're not going anywhere in the Democratic-controlled Senate. Not a. So the Senate's already passed its bill. They sent it over to the House. The House is going to do these piecemeal things. Maybe. I don't even know that, that, that it happens. Um, it's just, again, this is why this is so hysterical. Like, we were down to the 11th hour once again. I mean, this is what they said they didn't want to happen. And here we are. Um, McCarthy's getting squeezed from all sides. Some of the more moderate Republicans are saying well, we'll cut a deal with Democrats if we have to. And obviously, you've got people like Matt Gates and a couple others that are saying we'll vote for nothing if it doesn't do the following. And again, remember, none of this is ma- It matters. The Senate. You know, I think I get it from tactically, like squeeze the Senate. But you know, this is the problem, and the thing that's so interesting to me. And we'll get into a poll that just came out. Like Republicans right now, Americans think that they are the ones to control the economy and and the same poll shows that they're feeling very pessimistic. I get it. I mean, you just have to be out there pumping gas, buying food, looking at the housing market, interest rates. President Biden's trying to sell people that they should feel better on Bidenomics. And there's a poll out there that says 44% of Americans are worse off under Biden and they're favoring Republicans. Republicans, it is literally right there. Grab the brass ring and take it. Instead, they can't get their act together. I mean, this is, it is literally like scoring on yourself in a, in a soccer game. You put the ball in your own goal. This is literally, you can't ask for a better environment if you're a Republican to run. I mean, Biden, imagery-wise, can't get down a, a flight of stairs, mumbles through sentences, the policies are horrible, and Republicans are sitting there fighting with themselves about how to do the most basic things. I mean, you cannot buy, believe this is happening. Um, meanwhile, President Biden went out to pander to the United Auto Workers, Auto Workers are on strike. Um, he hung out with them for a total of 12 minutes. 12 minutes. And the news media last night, if you watched any of it, they were, oh my God, this is the first president to ever step on a picket line. Like somehow that's a this is a guy who literally calls himself Union Joe. I don't know why this is a big deal. And he didn't, like, do anything. The two things that are amazing is he stood there for 12 minutes on his way to a fundraiser in California. Yay, you guys, man. If you don't realize how pathetically you are being used as pawns, then you deserve to to lose this. After the 12 minutes that he spent there, he gets asked, does he support the 40% increase that the union workers want? By the way, they want a 40% increase in terms of take-home pay. They also wanna work 32 hours and get paid for a 40-hour week. Let's just be clear about what they're going for. When he was asked about this, Biden said, yes, I think they should be able to bargain for that. Now, when they get back on Air Force One, these senior White House aides scurry back to the press cabin, which is all the way in the back of the plane. There's 12 of them that travel with the president. And they ask him, let me pull this out so I get this right. They ask him, This is the, they call it a pool report, okay? Update on the POTUS quote in the pool report number six on whether UAW should get a 40% increase. Two White House officials came to the press cabin of Air Force One and spoke off the record. One of the officials, then speaking on background, which means you can say it's a White House official, you just can't name them, insisted POTUS did not hear the specific question that was asked. Reporters challenged that because they were like, dude, We were right there. He ignored. I mean, like, that's the lamest thing. He didn't hear the question. The official later came back again and speaking on background after reviewing the audio of the interaction, which clearly shows that he can hear it. Conceded Biden did respond to the question. And this was his full quote Yes, I think they should be able to bargain for that. Pool reporters listened to the TV audio of that and confirmed the accuracy of the quote. I mean, seriously. 40%. 40%. He agrees with that, just so we're clear. Now, the, the owners are like, how do, like, this is going to be very difficult for, for this guy to bargain or do anything because he's now put himself in the middle of this stuff. 40%. So, workers of the world, get ready. You get 40% if you demand. This is so unbelievable that he is pandering like this. He's not an, an arbiter trying to help them, whatever. He's just giving into their demands. And by the way, like I said before, this is insane because why? Because he, at the same time, is pushing the very policies that are going to get rid of their jobs. He supports moving to electric vehicles, which, A, use less parts that are made in this country and by union workers. So you're literally like, yeah, I support your raise, even though your job's going to go away. So you won't have a job to get the 40% increase because my policies are killing the industry. Gotcha. Gotcha. Speaking of the Biden family, though, twenty excuse me, $260,000, I mean, this isn't even Bob Menendez money, but it's still real, in Chinese wires to Hunter Biden's listed Joe Biden's home as the beneficiary address. Hunter allegedly received wires from inside Communist China for more than a quarter of a million dollars in 2019 that listed Joe Biden's address in Delaware as the address for the beneficiary of the money. James Comer, as you guys know, he's the chairman of the House Oversight Committee. He obtained these records uh, after subpoenaing them. But what, 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 again, this, oh, we have no evidence, no evidence, no evidence, no evidence, except a wire that lists Biden's address. At the very least, you should be able to ask why. Didn't Hunter Biden have an address he could use? Why, if he did, would he put Joe Biden's on there? I mean, who in their right mind? This is literally from the Bob Menendez camp. Are you dumb enough to put your dad, who's a vice president, who's going to be running for president, on the wire from Chinese governments? I mean, from Chinese companies? I mean, this is like Bob Menendez. Yeah, I kept the 500K in my coat for emergencies. What is going on that no one thinks this is insane? Oh, yeah, he just had to use an address. Does anyone have an address I can use? I'm getting a quarter million dollars wired from China. From a bunch of government companies that are controlled by the Chinese, uh, communist Chinese. Oh, yeah, use your dad. Holy, I mean, the, the absurdity is insane
0: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. There are days when you go, okay, that's a lot of political news. It can't get any
1: crazier. And then you start to realize, oh, no, this is the Biden administration. And I get a kick out of this all the time because during the Trump administration, it was always like, oh, my God, all this chaos. There there may not be chaos right now, but there's not a day that goes by that you're not reading about a wire for Hunter, uh, this shutdown happening, uh, the UAW... Issues. Look, now they're talking about Vegas workers going on strike. But then this story pops in semaphore this morning. It says Iranian influence operation reached top levels of Biden administration email show. This is, I'm going to read this to you. US official, the US official negotiating the nuclear deal professed loyalty to Iran in an email to the foreign minister. Now, remember, this is semaphore. A bunch of dudes who worked at the New York Times and all this isn't some right wing publication. And it says, in the spring of 2014, senior Iranian foreign ministry officials initiated a quiet effort to bolster Tehran's image and positions on global security issues. Hey, they wanna do a PR campaign. See, we're Iran. We're not that bad. Particularly its nuclear program by building ties with a network of influential overseas academics and researchers. They called it the Iran Experts Initiative. Oh man, that's genius at least three of these people on the foreign ministry's list were or became top aides to Robert Malley, the Biden administration's special envoy to Iran who was placed on leave in June following the suspension of his security clearance. What? This is the guy they're appointing to deal with Iran and the people around him are on the buddy-buddy list. I mean, it's more than like Facebook friends. These guys are like, hey, we love you, Iran. But I mean, what what is and oh, do you think that same guy? Remember the deal we made? What was it last week, five or six for six, and then we'll give you we'll unleash six billion dollars in tied up months because we're going to trust them to do nice things for their people. It has to be used for humanitarian purposes, and you know, Iran they gave us a pinky promise that that would happen. I I just like I, I as I said, I can't believe that this stuff, over and over again, happens. And we, we sit back and go, like, there's no shock and off. If one of these things had happened during the Trump administration, we, we'd be going nuts. I, I just, I can't believe it. Anyway, um, there was news this morning or last night, and then it came in this morning about nine Target stores closing. Now, why is that a big deal? Well, it's a big deal because you were never going to guess where they're closing them, all in blue cities. Seattle, New York, San Francisco. They don't put that in the news. They don't, and they're all leaving because of crime. I mean, we, we literally, if you're on social media, you've seen these imageries of just people coming up, bashing the window, grabbing all the stuff, or not even bashing it, they're walking in and walking out with anything they want. When I was in Milwaukee, I went in, I think it's a Walgreens. There's was a Walgreens, right, where we were filming and I wanted to get some bottled water and some other stuff to bring back to the hotel. I walk in, it's everything is behind Plexiglass. You've all seen this. You walk into a CVS, a Walgreens, whatever, and like the most basic things. If you want, I mean, first of all, what a pain, right? You have to find somebody. Could I please have a small little whatever, you know, bottle of water, deodorant, soap, shampoo, the most basic things? Like that's what they're worried about. And I'm thinking to myself, what do they make off this stuff? Like 50 cents, maybe a buck? And they have to lock everything down because theft is so rampant. And you've seen the videos, you've seen these people walk in and they all, the, the, the store employees have clearly been told, just let it happen. We can't do anything. We don't want to get sued. The cops aren't going to do anything. They'll let them go. So you just let them do it. Well, Target is now closing nine stores. There is a little bit of irony, isn't there? Target that tried to appease the far left with their tucked bathing suits and their displays, now having to cave because the left, which is defunding the police and allowing people who are criminals get away with it because I'm sure there's some systemic reason that it's okay. It's funny if it wasn't so sad. But the, the irony is, look at where they're closing them. As I said, San Francisco, Seattle, New York. All the places where the left controls. And it's funny, for a while it was all about, oh, people aren't going downtown anymore because of COVID, they're working from home. And so, you know, these downtown places. Washington, D.C., by the way, where we are right now, just reported the highest number of murders since I think, you know, in a couple decades. It's real. Walk down a city. Actually, don't. Walk down these places. They're not safe. I told you about that Dallas mayor yesterday who switch. The idea that if you're a mayor and you can't protect your your citizens, that's the number one goal of any government, any government, the number one thing is to take care and protect your people. If you're not safe, you have nothing else. You don't have to worry about your economic system or businesses thriving or so. If you literally can't keep people safe, it doesn't matter. Nada. And, and it's just, it blows my mind. But now they're starting to face the consequences. Think about the number of workers that can't go. Think of the number of people who can't go and get goods because there's no more Target. There's no more grocery store. There's no more retail. That that affects people's lives. There's, I, I just I don't think the left is going to do anything because they would have to admit that they were wrong. By the way, speaking of the economy and whatever, I mentioned this earlier, but there's a brand new NBC poll out that shows Republicans with a 21-point advantage on which party handles the economy better. 49% of registered voters picked Republicans, and 28 picked Democrats, which is the largest lead that NBC has seen for either party since 1991. That's why I'm telling you, for so many reasons, Republicans have literally a gift. Just don't screw it up. And yet, no strategy, no message, no nothing. The border is a disaster. It's a national security threat. Same thing. I mean, I just don't understand how Republicans, on those two issues alone, say nothing else. The average, you know, the big issue, suburban, women, you don't think that those are the two things. I mean, if you could pick two things that would resonate, security and the economy. I've always said this, but elections come down to two things, safety and security and your well-being. But they are gut issues. They are visceral. Someone can't tell you the economy is well. That's what Biden's trying to do. Bidenomics is working for you. You don't need someone from the government to tell you it. You feel it. It's a gut feeling. Do you feel you're saving more money? Can you go out to dinner? Are you putting something away for your kids? I don't need the government to tell me about a statistic. Same thing with safety. If I feel like I can walk down the street, when I walk down the street in D.C., I don't feel safe. I don't care what the statistics are. The statistics bear it out, by the way. But I don't need them to tell me I feel safe or unsafe. I know it. Do I feel like I'm okay getting to the car or am I rushing? Do I feel like I can walk down the street? So we see it. And that's all Republicans need to do is capitalize. And they're blowing. I just, it's amazing to me. It's like the ball is on the tee. Just hit it. Um. And obviously, the other thing that I want to get to, and I'm going to talk to to you about just a minute, we've got Mark Halpern coming in, is this debate tonight. And actually, I'll be interested in uh, the issues that come up tonight. Will they talk about crime? Will they talk about a border? I think both come up. Even though it's supposed to tilt a little more on foreign policy, I don't think they can help it. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
2: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen The Bride and Groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time.
0: (gasps) No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: I want to tee up our discussion about the debate tonight. Uh, Number one, will it move the needle? I don't think so. Uh, who's going to be on stage? Everybody but Asa Hutchinson. Ron DeSantis in the number one spot. The, then you got Ramaswamy, Haley, Pence, Christie, Tim Scott. And Doug Burgum, the uh, North Dakota governor, made it. Barely. But I think this is the last one we see. I don't know. The guy's got so much money. Who knows? Um, but I want to take talk about this and break down the candidates, what they have to do to maybe move the needle, to make an impression, to stand out. With Mark Halperin, Um, he's a longtime journalist who has covered um, multiple presidential campaigns on both sides. He knows what works, what doesn't. He is probably the best sourced person that I know when it comes to this. And I've come across a lot of journalism. He is the head of Worldwide News. It's a concierge service that he runs. You can go to walkingduck.com slash mark to sign up. But he brings insights uh, that no one else has. And it's funny, if you look at the coverage of his publication, it always talks about all of these really influential people who read it because everybody talks to him on both sides of the aisle. So I want to bring in Mark to talk about what we are going to see tonight and who needs to do what. Mark, good to see you. Uh, especially, we had a great discussion this morning. Uh, I want to remind folks, if you didn't, go go to, go to check us out tomorrow. Uh, look at Mark's service, as I mentioned, walkingduck.com slash Mark. Go to my locals or go to the YouTube. You can watch this 9 a.m. tomorrow morning, uh, our conversation to break down what we think people did, didn't do. But until then, let's let's do a little uh, pregame here. I want to just run down the candidates, if you will, maybe 10, 20 seconds on each, what you think they have to do. I want to start with the one guy who's not on the stage, Asa Hutchinson. Is he done?
2: He's probably done. I don't think he'll make the next threshold. He uh, does have a stunt in mind going to uh, Michigan to try to get in the face of Donald Trump. I doubt he'll get much coverage. Uh, You know, he's he always difficult to see a path for him to even get traction, and I think it may be the last gasp uh, of his uh, campaign to go to Michigan tonight.
1: Okay, Doug Burgum spent big. The former North Dakota, uh, the current former North, the current North Dakota governor. Um, He spent a ton of money. He got the ads and he got that one poll he needed. Uh, Can he get to four? I mean, a what does he need to do tonight? And can he keep spending his way to the next debate, which is 4%? It's
2: possible. I mean, it's just an algorithm, right? And he'll say, how big a check do I need to write to get to to the polling level? And probably they can do it. And he might well spend it. He seems to be enjoying himself. Uh, I think they've probably maybe run too heavily on bio, not enough on sort of some breakthrough issues. But I think he's an appealing guy. Uh, He's just running in a cycle where this is not the profile that's going to break through.
1: Yeah, just do me a favor as a friend. Uh, remind me if I ever make that much money and I'm tr- spending it to get on a debate stage to to not do that. And that no matter how fun that is, that's not where I'm spending my money. Um, he, he's,
2: am, he's ambitious and, he, you know, he's, he's now more famous <laughs> than he ever otherwise was going to be. So maybe he thinks his money well spent.
1: Yeah, uh, I just I'll take the money and be unfamous. Um, <laughs> let's go down to uh, Chris Christie. You know,
2: he's kind of toggled lately th- to try to be more than just the anti-Trump candidate talking about his record in New Jersey, mm-hmm. talking about how he would govern. Uh, and he's becoming ex- super explicit that this is just a, a New Hampshire play and nothing else to try to get the people of New Hampshire on his side. I'll be curious to see if, if he gets baited into attacking other candidates on stage tonight or whether he goes back to just, I'm the guy who, who can be Trump, I'm the truth teller. But I think his, his brand has gotten a little bit spread out. And again, I'll be curious to see. Last time, you know, he, he attacked Vivek. I'm not sure that's the path to nomination. So we'll see where he, he, he aims his fire tonight.
1: Before I get to the next candidate, he he made this analysis, likening himself to Joe Biden last cycle in South Carolina, saying, I can win New Hampshire, yeah. slingshot forward. And yeah. he keeps saying, well, and then, you know, Biden didn't even compete in a lot of the states that he won on Super Tuesday. Do you think that that's an oversimplification or is that a realistic strategy?
2: Well, of course, it's an oversimplification, but but right now, if you're looking inside the top three scenarios where Trump's not the nominee, Christie wounding him in New Hampshire is, is on the list of top three right. just because of the absence of other things. He does have a ceiling of support. Uh, because there's so many Republicans who say in every poll, including New Hampshire, they won't vote for him. But there is still this question of where will the independents go? If there's no Democratic contest at all and the independents have to go someplace, not impossible he could finish a second that the press would judge to be good enough to wound Trump. Obviously, it raises the question, where does he go next?
1: Right. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll, this is, and I don't want to get off on a tangent on this, but I, I liken yeah. Christie in New Hampshire to Daryl Issa back in the Gray-Davis recall, which is he goes full steam at Gray-Davis, every makes the case that Gray-Davis should be recalled, and then people say, all right, let's get Schwarzenegger. And I think that, that Christie, yeah. Christie could get people and, to believe, hey, yeah. Trump can get beat, I'm just not the guy to do it.
2: Yeah, it's a pr- perfect metaphor. And again, look, remember, his, his running was, I think, pretty much predicated on, I'll do to Trump what I did to Marco Rubio in 2016. Trump not going to the debates hurts. I think Christie wants to stay in long enough so that he can get to uh, the, the New Hampshire debate, presumably in December or January, and hope that getting on the stage with Trump produces that magic alchemy that he was counting on from the start.
1: All right, let's move on to to Mike Pence.
2: I've been surprised at, at his poll numbers not going up. I thought in the debate, uh, you know, people talk about you know Haley doing well. Some say DeSantis did well. Pramod Swami being at the center of attention. I thought Pence did very well for him. He got out the message he wanted to get out. I think his earned meat has been good. I think his team is extraordinarily good at leveraging what they have. But the poll numbers do not move. It's hard for me to see Mike Pence having a better performance tonight than he did in Milwaukee. And if that performance did nothing to raise his poll numbers, it's hard to know what the path is. But he he's running a very lean and smart campaign. He's raising decent money. He has a super PAC. So I expect he's going to be Mike Pence tonight and he's going to be Mike Pence going forward. And he could he could linger around here into into March, potentially. Tim Scott. Just, you know, universal disappointment, including by his honest supporters of how he did the first time. But he was Tim Scott. And in fact, he said in some interviews since the first debate, I'm going to keep being Tim Scott. Tim Scott's a nice guy, very well liked by his Senate colleagues. But as you and I have discussed, no clear issue that he's running on that really breaks through with Republican voters. Uh, a generous super PAC uh, spending money on his behalf. But I'd be surprised if he did anything much different tonight. And I think part of the dynamic that you know well is when you don't perform in the first debate, the moderators in the second debate who want a good debate aren't necessarily going to be more inclined to go to you. So they'll have to fight for time tonight. I suspect he'll try. I'm not sure how successful it'll be. Nikki Haley. Really watching her, uh, some people uh, you know, are watching her more than anyone, and I think that's smart. There are a lot of donors out there who are now interested and yeah. wondering, should she be where they bet if they want to stop Donald Trump? So can she be as strong or stronger than last time? I think she can. I think this format plays to her strength. I'm super curious in what she does, but I'm even more curious in what her rivals on the stage do. No one really, except for Ramaswamy, went, engaged with her last time. Engaging the only woman on the stage is is a little bit of a risk. But I'll be curious to see if she is strong and if the moderators kind of tee up conflict with her and others, how do the others handle her? And then, of course, how does she come back? If they come after her, what does she do to come back after them? And then last, I'm interested, what does she say about Donald Trump? I was surprised her remarks about Donald Trump from the first debate didn't get more attention. I'll be curious to see if she keeps up that really harsh critique of the first Trump term and of Donald Trump personally.
1: I was impressed post-debate by the number of women who said to me, Republican women, who hadn't really given her a look, and said, "I really liked how she handled the issue of abortion in life, um, how she handled the discussion of foreign policy. I mean, I, it, I, I, I don't know that that's a big enough voting block, especially in the early states. But yep. I, I actually was impressed by the people who proactively commented to me that uh, they may not have given her a serious look, but were impressed with how she handled yep. herself.
2: Yep. Can we? Um, I linger on her for just a second. Is yep. that okay? Uh, so I was talking to a very smart pollster last night as part of a session of my concierge coverage, and he made the point that in the NBC poll, Nikki Haley's performance head-to-head against Joe Biden in a hypothetical general election matchup was the strongest, but it was exactly the same as the as the matchup with a, a, a non an unnamed Republican. Just would you vote for Biden or the Republican? Five point advantage, and the voting groups were all identical. There was no Haley advantage with any group as to compared to a a, a non named Republican. I think she's got an opportunity now as she gets better known, to rise up higher against some of the other Republicans. But she's going to have to avoid being, uh, you know, uh, uh, fighting back against attacks. And as she gets better known, she has to hope her poll numbers go up rather than down. A lot of her Republican rivals are predicting as she gets better known, her poll numbers will in fact go down.
0: Yeah, it is Ryan here. And I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woo a hand clapper, a high-fiver? I kind of like the high-five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18+. plus. So let's pause on the South
1: Carolina, because I just did Scott and then Haley. Do you think both of them make it to South Carolina?
2: Uh, my guess is no. I, I think I think at least one of them will be out, uh, and and they'll use the moment to endorse, whether that's to endorse Donald Trump, uh, the inevitable nominee at that point potentially, or to endorse whoever's become the the alternative to Trump. My guess is one, and maybe both of them don't make it there. And because better to use your leverage as the home state politician. Than to finish third fourth or fifth in your home state
1: yeah i actually i agree with that i actually my view is tim scott's got more to lose as the incumbent an incumbent senator Nikki haley at least is a out of office but tim scott yeah. as a current office holder getting shellacked in his own state would not bode well for his future i mean i would think yeah. about primary the guy if i thought he was weak yeah um yeah l- we we i want to get to Ramaswamy, before we get to obviously DeSantis, who will be in that poll position again. Um, I was taken back, I think, the morning after the debate by the amount of not only online discussion, but when you turned on the morning shows, the Today Show, Good Morning America, they equally talked about Vivek Ramaswamy, meaning I thought, okay, he's kind of hit uh, the dual, the, the stream. They've come together because normally you might get one or the other. And I'd seen it online. Uh, for a lot of conservative influencers. But when both hit, I thought, okay, this guy's going to get a bump. He really hit, he defended Trump. Uh, and yet, not so much. In fact, he actually might've taken a step back after initial yeah. sugar high.
2: Yeah. So the press interest, I think, is primarily because of some, a, a TV term that you know well, whether someone pops on TV or not, right? You can't teach that. You can improve your TV skills. You can improve your communication skills. But pe- some people pop and some people don't. That guy pops when he's on camera. There's some energy about him that people find compelling. And you saw that you could have cut 40, 40 different sound bites from the first debate of him on his own or interacting with his rivals in a way that pops. So you're going to get coverage for that. I think his his problem is threefold in terms of in terms of having a higher ceiling than he appears to have either nationally or in Iowa, or New Hampshire, South Carolina. One is he's appealing to the Trump voters. He right. talks about how great Trump is. So, so th- those people are for Trump. Second, I think his age is a problem for some voters. He's just, he's a young looking guy. He's young. And I think you just haven't seen the Republican Party historically in the modern era turn to somebody that young. And then lastly, I think he's a little glib, uh, a little maybe smart-alecky in a way that I know you talked about the people who, who, who spoke favorably about Haley. I heard from a lot of people of all ages who just who just thought he was a little bit too, uh, again, kind of glib and, and smart-alecky. Trump gets away with it because Trump gets away with stuff. Other people don't. There's no explaining that in any rational way. But I think that's produced a bit of a ceiling. And the question I have for him, about him tonight is, does he have a second act? Does he right. have a, a, does he try to act more mature? Does he try to, to try to fill in the policy in a less kind of, again, glib way and a more substantive way? Or does he just act the same way, which is generally the way he acts? I haven't seen him play tennis with his shirt off uh, in the run-up to this debate, but we'll see metaphorically if if he's put his shirt back on and maybe some tennis whites and and it plays a little bit more formally tonight to try to expand people's conception of.
1: Yeah, I asked this question after the first debate. Republicans, I think especially establishment Republicans, and I think a lot in Iowa and New Hampshire, believe still in in a level of respect and decorum. And I think exactly. that when you're 38 years old, you've never served before, and you're going after these guys and, and calling them names, there's a little bit of backlash from a lot of folks that said, hey, we might agree with you on a lot of these issues, but don't you don't need to call you don't need to act to your point glib. I I my word was disrespectful. I wondered yeah. how much it played out. I also think to your point, you know, my kids love to watch uh, America's Got Talent. And I always think it's interesting when they come back and they'll say, Your first act, you know, to your point about does he have a second act? They'll say the first time you came out, you wowed us. We wondered whether that was it or you had more. And I think you're right. Is that the, the, is he a one trick pony or does he come back out and be more serious and substantive? Because if he can combine those two, maybe, but if it's just another like, you know, Dan Shtick, I don't think that people are going to buy it. They want a little substance there.
2: Yeah. my, My prediction going into the first debate was that Brett and Martha, uh, would would gear things towards letting Christie go at DeSantis. In the absence of Trump, that seemed to me to be like the two battle of the Titans that they could have teed up. I don't know if that was their intention, but they never got there because it was mostly about Ramaswamy against the field. Right. And again, I wonder tonight, Dana Perino and her colleagues, are they gonna are they gonna, you know, give him a rerun and see how he handles it. Or or does that not interest them because they figure, well, that happened in chapter one. Chapter two is going to be more about Nikki Haley. Or more about DeSantis, or more about everybody ganging up on Trump, whatever it is. But it'll—I'll I'll be curious to see if it organically or in a less organic way gives him the opportunity to be the same guy he was the first time again. To repeat the point, does he take that opportunity? That's his—that's his shtick, or does he take some of the snot out of his nose and behave a little bit more maturely?
1: So let's let's talk about the last candidate up there. There is a general belief that I subscribe to that DeSantis needs to come. Game tonight. He he passed last time. You know, if this was pass fail, he passed, and I think people said he did what he had to do, but he didn't further his cause. I think tonight this is the last look for donors who say, "Dude, I I thought you did a great job as governor. I'm just not sure you're ready to take on Trump."
2: I certainly think that uh, that his path forward becomes a lot harder if he's not the standout tonight, but. The super PAC still got tens of millions of dollars left, as far as we know. So he can struggle on. His team has been frustrated uh, in looking for opportunities to get favorable coverage. They've really overhauled their operation. You probably see it in your inbox, as I do. You get the schedule now. You get highlights from his interviews. They're really trying to put him more in the conversation, because being in the conversation in this contest, if you're not Donald Trump, is exceedingly difficult. The debate, even without Trump, is obviously the marquee moment to dominate the news. I, I know they've worked hard at debate prep. I know that, that their intention is for him to do even better. But remember, the reviews were pretty good. His team spun very hard, but, the, but the, after the polls and others suggested he was seen as a standout performer. He got pretty good coverage from it. Had no impact except maybe lowered his poll numbers in the, in the states and nationally. So what does it mean to do well? There's only one metric right now. What's smothering his campaign, what's hurting his fundraising, What's hurting his press coverage is his poll numbers. Right. Can he perform so well tonight that it improves his poll numbers? It would, it would defy his past practice. He's not that great a performer. Well, and this the gets weakness back to, of his candidacy.
1: This gets back to what you said yeah. about Ramaswamy, right? The pop. At some point, you, can't, you can spend a ton of money. If someone doesn't pop, they don't pop. You can't make them be who they aren't. Yeah. Um, speaking yeah. of popping, President Trump obviously not going again. I don't think we're going to see him at a debate anytime soon. He's going to be in Michigan talking to UAW workers. Um, He got a ton of coverage with this Tucker Carlson counter-programming last time. Where do you think this counter-programming effort falls?
2: Hmm. I think they've got something up their sleeve. I I know they've announced, you know, he's gonna give remarks to a group of a lot of retired auto workers. Um, I think there's another, you know, add-on event. Maybe it's just a stop at a restaurant, but they're not really being straightforward as we talk right now about what he plans. And and, you know, look, I don't think Fox is going to cover him very much because they're focused on the debate. Right. I don't think I don't think CNN and MSNBC will because they don't like to give him any coverage. Uh, Newsmax will cover it. Uh, They'll be streamed online. But I'm not sure how much he's going to dominate the 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 evening. Uh, There'll be more eyeballs on the debate. And then.
1: I but do you that think, hold on, little- let me just real quick. Do you yeah. really, so yeah. I get apples and oranges, right? Twitter yeah. views are not the same as network views. Yeah. But what did he get, 250,000 views on, on a million views yeah. on, on Tucker? I I get that that's not, but I'm just saying that that's not bad to counter programming. No, it's
2: not. And and, and look, for, for the MAGA faithful, which again, contrary to what the Democrats and the press might tell you, it's more than 50% of the party at this point. Right. The MAGA faithful will hear it. They'll know he was there and they'll like him taking on Joe Biden. There there's look, you know, Donald Trump's success on the national stage though has been predicated on dominating both the MAGA press, the red press, as well as the what I call the dominant media. And so I don't know, you mentioned I think the Today Show before, I don't know that today show will care much about him in Detroit as compared to the debate, unless the debate is a snooze fest. But but I thought there'd be more momentum of Trump versus Biden. Again, my fingertip feel about where we are is there's a little bit of momentum lost because it's not on the same day and the debate is here and there's other news in the world. So we'll see, but, but there's no doubt that, that he's, going to, he's going to get a lot of strong red press coverage. There's no doubt about that.
1: Yeah. Before we go, I want to switch subjects for a second because you've been covering you know everything for the last several decades. This Bob Menendez thing, uh, senator from New Jersey. Um, I, I think there's a lot of scandals that you can explain away or say, I want my day in court. It's hard to say there was a vest that had my name on it with the congressional seal where I stuffed $480,000 in cash, some gold bars that have the fingerprints. Allegedly, allegedly, oh, allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and say, but but they're not allegedly, because he admits that he had the cash. He says, I had well, it for emergency purposes. He,
2: he admitted he had some cash. He didn't say how much. Okay,
1: but he didn't deny formally. the amount. I would have come out if that was me and said, this is, you yeah. know, I never had that much cash. But he came out and he held a press conference, which he said, I held this for emergency purposes, uh, which yeah. I, I have equally now gone out and f- I'm, I'm requesting $480,000 in cash in case of an emergency, like the lights go out. But yeah. where do you think this play just politically, does he resign yeah. or not?
2: I think I got about 150 bucks here. Look, you look at you look at Al Franken, who resigned under similar circumstances yeah. regarding to- colleagues things particularly about colleagues and home state politicians saying he needs to resign. Then you look at George Santos who hasn't resigned, right? What, what separates them? Uh, a lot of times, if people are facing legal peril, they' le- paradoxically, they're less likely to resign. Franken wasn't under in criminal investigation or indictment when you're facing legal peril the thing of value that you hold that might help you in a plea bargain that might help you uh, as a as a platform to try to rally public opinion to your side to trade on the advantages of incumbency to to build support in your state is is holding the office and so the, the 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 greater peril he feels from legally the more likely he is i think to try to hold on and of course they can they can ratchet it up they can have more senators call for his resignation. They can strip him of his committee assignments. They can kind of give him the cold shoulder, but I don't get the sense that there's much they can do at this point to force him to resign. If he decides maybe he can make a plea bargain and and give up the seat, then I think he goes. But my, my sense from his body language and his past behavior and from other examples, like George Santos is, I don't think he's going anywhere. Even if, even if Schumer and the white house call for him to go, Not impossible he'd bend, but I don't think so.
1: Mark Halpern, always love this. And again, look forward to seeing you tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. for some post-game analysis. Thank you.
2: Uh, I'll be there. Thank you, Sean. All
1: right. As you can see, today is why I love doing the show and I appreciate all your support. By the way, if you can, go to Apple Podcasts. Go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you don't have an Apple phone and just subscribe. That's super helpful to our success. Thank you for all your support. But this is great. I mean, all of these issues and be able to break them down, especially with the debate, people like Mark, to break through all the clutter that you hear from people and say, oh, this person's going to be the nominee and this is what's going to happen. And they're going to parachute it in. If you understand the rules and how the game is played and what matters, um, then you can dominate these conversations. We're better citizens. We're better activists. So I appreciate you um, you doing this. We'll have a big breakdown of that debate tomorrow, a, a really great panel discussion about how this thing played out and what's next, because uh, that's what's going to matter, uh, especially as we head towards that third debate with the stakes getting raised. So uh, please continue to support us, help us. We look forward to getting you back here tomorrow. By the way, if you want to watch that debate prep that Mark and I talked about. Tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. You can watch it live on my YouTube channel. You can go to locals, .locals seanspicer.locals.com and sign up if you want to ask a question, be part of our VIP community. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you right back here tomorrow on The Sean Spicer Show.